Well, it's really good to be back here and to experience the, well, first of all, the outside service, but then also to experience uh, this live stream with you. And yeah, it's, it's in many ways, it's funny that I haven't been in a service for a year and a half here, um, but we've been enjoying um, gathering together as a church. And, um, you know, one of the things that we really wanted to see happen with the church plant was um, to see new people uh, really involved in leadership and serving God in new ways and, and stepping out in faith even to trust him for something new. And I can say from uh, my own testimony and my own eyewitness uh, experience that God is doing that, that God is um, empowering new people, uh, you know, people that were maybe uh, sitting in the pews or doing other things uh, to do his work at Citizens. But also the interesting thing is that it's um, it creates a vacuum here when we left and then new people have stepped up. And so, you know, one of the visions behind uh, citizens would, would be that um, God would empower people to take steps of faith and do new things. And so um, it's really cool to see it happening. And I look forward to August 29th at the general meeting uh, just to be able to have an opportunity to give a fuller update on what citizens is doing and, and what uh, we are trusting God for in the future as we look ahead to, um, you know, whatever he has for us at Citizens Church. So again, if you have your Bible, please turn, uh, if you have a physical Bible or in your phone, um, turn to Romans chapter 15, and we're going to look at the text there. Um, as I was thinking about, you know, what should I be speaking on this summer? You know, what should be the text? Um, I was reading through all kinds of different books, and then I came to this text here in Romans 15, and it just felt like the right text. First of all, I read verse 14, and it said this, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. And I read that verse, and I thought, okay, that sounds like Woodside, and it sounds like a word that I would say, that I'm just so confident, and I know this church well, and it's exciting to see what is happening here. And so I thought, okay, maybe this uh, text here in Romans 15 is a word for us to go through together. And so I'm just really essentially taking Paul's words and what he has to say to the church here, uh, to the Roman church, and I'm going to repurpose it here for us this morning. And we're going to try to look at and answer three questions, okay? So if you're a note taker, this is them right here. First one, who do you celebrate? The second, whose power matters? And then the third, what is your gospel ambition? Okay, so who do you celebrate? Whose power matters? And what is your gospel ambition? Let's start. We're not going to start in verse 14. We're going to start actually in verse 17. So looking at verse 17 with the question, who do you celebrate? The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. The Apostle Paul starts actually with a word of celebration. And I've had a number of times this year, not, well, a number, not like a ton of number, but a number of times where I've bumped into people from Woodside and they've asked me the question, 
how are things going at Citizens? Or like, you know, tell me about it. Because obviously none of you from Woodside have been able to come to us at Citizens because of limitations and all that kind of stuff. And so people have asked me, hey, how's it going? And I've found myself um, pretty regularly, more often than I've even liked, uh, just starting by saying, well, it's been good, but, and then always there's some sort of statement that comes with it, you know, maybe, um, well, we haven't been able to have meals together, or we haven't been able to invite guests at all just because of, you know, restrictions and COVID limitations. And, you know, there was always something that I would add on to the question of like, what is God doing at Citizens? What are the things that are happening? And it got to the point where um, every time I would say it, the words would come out of my mouth. I would kind of think like, man, I shouldn't be saying that because God is still at work and God is still doing things. And it's a moment actually, even though like it's valid to say that this is a hard season and there are difficult things happening. But it's a moment to actually celebrate God and what he is doing. And Paul here, in verse 17, you know, at this point in the book, he's kind of summarizing his, his, his thoughts are all down about the gospel and explaining that. He's talked a lot about how the church should be interacting. And now he's kind of coming to his concluding words and to his farewell, ultimately, in chapter 16. And he wants to, like, summarize a lot of his big ideas. And he starts by saying, I'm just glorying in God. And that word, actually, to glory, at least that's the word it is here in the NIV, that word can also mean, could be translated, to boast or to take pride in. And at face value, when you look at that, you might be thinking, like, okay, Paul, Careful here, man. Like you might be going down a slippery slope of taking pride in yourself and in the work that you're doing. You know, maybe um, kicking around in his mind would be like a verse from Proverbs 11:2 that says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. And the book of Proverbs is actually full of warnings against pride. Or maybe the Apostle Paul had even hung around James because James writes this in James chapter 4, verse 6. He says, Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. All right, Paul, there's your message. God rejects people who are proud and filled with pride and he, you know, lifts up those who are humble. And so, like, what is going on here as you read chap- verse 17? Um, As you read these concluding words, what is Paul actually doing? Well, you can see from the verses that Roland just read, verses 14, 15, and 16, and even in verse 17 here, he says, the point of his glory, the source of the glory, the, the focus actually, the pointing of the boasting is in Christ Jesus. So even though Paul says, man, this has been amazing, the things that God has allowed me to be a part of, the things that God has allowed me to see, he says, ultimately, that boasting is in Christ and what he has done. And it does make me think about uh, the Olympics. I don't know if you watched any of the Olympics. Probably a lot of us did, caught, you know, some sports here and there. But one of the things, one of the beautiful things about the Olympics is that, um, the, the athletes and the, the teams are actually representing something bigger than themselves. Even though, you know, if they stand up and get the gold medal or the silver or the bronze, 
I mean, it's them that did the actual work. They spent years training. They were the ones who, whatever, you know, they threw a javelin or they ran that race or they swam that distance. And yet in the moment of celebration, especially at the Olympics, the flag of their country is lifted and the anthem is sung. You know, nobody is asking the person who, sang, who got the gold medal, like, what's your favorite song? It's all about you. We're going to play your favorite song. No, they represent a nation. They represent something bigger than themselves, even though they were a big part of the actual, you know, medal and the earning of it. And so Paul here is doing the same thing. Paul is saying, this is astounding what I've been involved in. This is amazing the things that God has allowed me to see and, and take part in. But he says, all those things, all the glory, all the boasting that I do, all the words that I say are standing on this foundation of it's God who has done it. It's all because of Christ's work. So the question there remains, what have you celebrated in this you know, difficult, hard season? Has your voice, you know, gone out to celebrate what God is doing around you? If you're like me, which, you know, we all have had very similar experiences, you probably have found yourself um, distracted or divided or even in worst case, being drawn into uh, things that are um, sources of division for our society or even for you as a believer in the church. So if I'm honest, the list that came to my mind when I was writing this message were things like lockdowns, masks, vaccines, even things like home renovations. I know at, at, at a certain point, like it seemed like Almost everybody around me, including myself, was doing some sort of work in the home. So like home renovations, successful or struggling businesses, um, you know, just the busyness of life around us that was like a new kind of busyness, you know, wh whether it was our own world and all the things that were surrounding us. All of these things in and of themselves are just things. They're just like a part of our daily life and especially in this pandemic daily life but they can easily become distractions, diversions, or sources of division. And in this climate of the global pandemic, we find, and I found myself often, being pulled towards these things rather than actually looking to see what has God actually done around me. And the Apostle Paul, on numerous occasions, um, writing to individuals, writing to churches, warned people and told people about the, the deadly cost of division and the deadly cost of being distracted from what God is actually doing around us. So one of the scriptures that is, maybe it's like more, um, I wouldn't say extreme, it's just like very clear. It's in 2 Timothy, where Paul is actually writing to Timothy, to the church at Ephesus, and the issues that they are facing. And he says this in 2 Timothy 2.14. He says, Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. 
Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God of truth, the word of truth. And verse 16 says, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. And then verse 18 says, they have swerved from the truth, saying that their resurrection has already happened. So here's Paul writing to this church in Ephesus and saying to Timothy, the pastor there, the elder, the shepherd of the flock, he's saying, Timothy, I'm warning you, be careful. It's so easy to get drawn into distractions. And in this case, we actually have like names of people right? There's Hymenaeus and Philetus. These were two guys who were saying that the resurrection had already happened, and they're like debating. They're, they're talking about all this kind of stuff, and Paul's saying the temptation is going to be for you to be drawn into that, to get into these quarrels, to try to solve it, and whatever that, all the things that go with it, and Paul's saying, I'm reminding you, like, stay clear of that, and the result is actually Uh, He uses really graphic language for the result. He says, it's like gangrene. Okay, if you know what gangrene is, it's it's really, it's an infection that is eating away. It's killing your flesh. And so the cost of being diverted, the cost of being distracted is great. And in Paul's context, back here to Romans, he says, this is what I am focused on. Look again at verse 18. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Paul says, listen, as a summarizing statement, as a closing to this letter, rather than being distracted by all kinds of stuff that that is legitimate and even at times needs to be addressed because we know Paul talked about some issues in chapter 14 of Romans and chapter 13. And thankfully we have leadership in the church that actually at times has to get into certain topics that need to be addressed. But Paul says here, I am focused. I'm not distracted by anything. The gospel is before me and and seeing what God is doing before me is more important than anything else. I want to be, you know, totally focused so that I can see what God is doing. We are not the only church in history, even Big C Church, that has struggled with difficulty. There have been pandemics before us. There has been economic struggle before us. There have been persecutions before us. And thinking back even to the early church, the first couple of centuries when the church was growing and, you know, Christianity was expanding throughout the Roman world. And um, one of the early church historians, Tertullian, um, wrote about the church and what he saw in the society there, what they were saying about Christians as persecution and pressure was increasing to the believers. Tertullian wrote this in, in around the early 200s. And he starts by quoting what the people of the day were saying around him. It says, look, say those who don't believe. So these are unbelievers who are saying this. They say, look, how the Christians love one another. For those who don't believe hate one another. And then he goes back, he says, and how these Christians are ready to die for each other. For those who don't believe are readier to cut one another's throats. But we Christians look upon ourselves as one body 
informed as it were by one soul and being thus incorporated by love. Tertullian says, this is how the first, you know, first couple centuries church was looking. Heavy persecution. Everybody around them is kind of like cutthroat society. And as the non-Christians look at believers, what they're seeing actually is a people that is unified and motivated, singularly focused by what he calls love. That's the thing that is pulling them together in the midst of hardship, in the midst of struggle. And it's good for us to hear that. Good to be reminded that in the midst of hardship, God can actually bring us together as a people when we focus on what he is actually doing around us. And we celebrate the fact that God has not left us. God has not disappeared from the scene as difficulty comes, but he is present. He is with us. And we can celebrate that fact and give glory to him. So, How do we not get kind of pulled in or sunk down into the mire of difficulty and discouragement? Well, verse 19 shows us that we need to look to a greater power. And so here's the second question. Whose power matters? Okay, whose power matters? Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says this, By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So the Apostle Paul is, is short and brief and, you know, gets straight to the point in that verse. The key word, for me at least, in that verse is the first word of verse 19. That two-letter word, by. Because what he's saying is, all these things that happened in verse 17 and 18, all the, the glorying and what God has done, all the seeing, you know, the amazing things and being a part of it. Paul's not saying, it's because of me. No, Paul's saying, it's by, so it comes from a source that is outside of even him, you know, this great missionary. He says, it is by the power of the Spirit of God. It's by the power of the Spirit of God. One of the things I discovered um, over this last 15, 16 months of planting Citizens Church, and it's, I mean, we're like an infant church still. We're just slowly taking baby steps. Um, But I have come to see that we are totally dependent on the Spirit of God to work in our midst. Now listen, we had our plans, and and I can remember uh, getting this document called the Church Planting Launch Sequence. It was a 14-page document that I downloaded, and almost every page had a list of things that you could do so that, you know, by the time you do this 75, 80, I don't know, maybe there was like 100 things, a big checklist, you're ready, and it you know, it's called a launch sequence. So it had like a big rocket ship. You're ready to fly off into space and kind of plant your church. And it was actually really helpful. I, I mean, I needed something to kind of give me direction. You know, it says you need to find a location and you need to get a sound system. You need to talk to people about this. You need to get a website, all this kind of stuff. A huge list of things. But what I've been discovering and what we actually started really early on right here in the building here was that it has to be a work of God. The Spirit of God has to be the one who is fueling all these things. Do we need the checklist? Absolutely. We need to do the checklist. But behind the checklist, what all that work and effort is actually standing on is the power of the Spirit of God. And so for our testimony as Citizens Church, it began right in this building, in the fellowship hall, right outside this room that we're in right now. And it began with people gathering together to pray. 
And just ask God, like, God, what do you want us to be involved in? We didn't know it was going to be a church plant. We didn't know if it was going to be some sort of new ministry. We didn't know what it was going to be at that time. But all we knew was if anything was going to get off the ground, if anything was going to be successful, it would be a work of the Spirit of God. Now, I was thinking this week of different jobs that might be similar to that, just to help you kind of understand it a little bit more because sometimes, you know, thinking of a church plant and the to-do list, that doesn't make sense. But, you know, I was thinking of maybe like a factory where you put something together and that wasn't quite it. I was thinking of like a store and that wasn't quite it. But the one that actually rang true for me, which kind of makes sense locally here, was the work of a farmer. The work of a farmer is actually really similar to the work that Paul is talking about and even to the work of planting a church because farmers themselves have this big list of things to do. And I don't even know what that list is, but it's got tractors involved in it and it's got, you know, maybe animals involved. It's got buildings. It's also got land and preparation. Ultimately, though, if they're, you know, planting seed, they put it in the ground. And if you were to ask a farmer, If you ever get the chance, do it. Ask a farmer, you say, okay, once that seed is in the ground, then what do you do? Well, that's where a farmer should kind of, you know, in in humility say, that's all we can do. I mean, we're waiting for the sunshine, we're waiting for the rain, and we're waiting for that plant to do what only it can do right in the ground, totally at the mercy of God and God's forces kind of bringing these plants to life. And the Apostle Paul here says, listen, the only thing that we glory in, the only thing that we can point to is the power of the Spirit of God working in our midst. And so it is something to actually glory in and to celebrate. And the Apostle Paul started Romans with the same kind of language these verses that many of us are familiar with, Romans 1, verses 15 and 16, it says this, That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And so we, as God's people, are involved in what he's doing, and in our weakness, He is actually working behind the scenes. He's working in deeper levels of things that none of us can even access. You know, we're talking about the work of the heart. The greatest miracle of all is that we put our trust and our faith in God. And that's something that, man, we are involved in. We're loving people. We're sharing the gospel message. But inside, the work that happens in our hearts is actually only a work that God can do. And Paul says, That's what I glory in, that God is actually doing that. And so he says, who do I celebrate? I celebrate God and I glory in what God has done. And when it comes to the question of whose power matters, he says the power that matters is actually the power of the Spirit of God. Then we come to the last question here. What is our gospel ambition? And in verse 20, Paul clarifies his own ambition, but it's actually something that we as believers can hold on to and that we still hold on to. Verse 20 says this, 
it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. So the Apostle Paul points to the ambition that he had, the goal that he had. And we're going to look at it in two ways. One is a, a broad view, a view that is a ambition for all of us to be involved in. And then the second is a specific. Okay, so one is broad and one is specific. And, and Paul begins and regularly talked about the broad view of this ambition, this broad view of a gospel ambition. And so he begins verse 19, or sorry, verse 20, by saying, my ambition is to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. Paul always looked for opportunities wherever he was going, traveling around on ship or going through the markets or interacting with believers, non-believers. Anytime there's an opportunity, looking for a way to bring the gospel into play and to find opportunities to express the gospel in the, in the reality of people's lives. And this morning when I was uh, outside and preaching to the first service and looking over like hundreds of people. And now can just imagine that, you know, I don't know, there's like 50 or 100 of you online. I just think of the spread of just Woodside. Like just people that call Woodside their church. The, the places where we all end up during the week. Maybe on Zoom calls. Or maybe in Zoom meetings. Or maybe like more and more of you are starting to work in different locations. Or, you know, being able to go into the office. Or even just the neighborhoods that we walk in. And um, go around and bike and, and slowly seeing people coming out and experiencing life together. Those are opportunities where we can actually bring in the presence of God. Eugene Peterson says this in his book, uh, Under the Unpredictable Plant. Um, it's a book about Jonah, actually, and it's specifically written to pastors, but it has so many words that are actually applicable to all believers. And Eugene Peterson says this um, great little paragraph in the book. It says this, We must do only what we are there to do. Pronounce the name. Name the hunger. But it is so easy to get distracted. There is so much going on, so much to see and hear and say, so much emotion, so many tasks, so, so much that we think are opportunities. But our assignment as believers is to be the ones, is to the one thing needful, and he calls it here the invisible, the quiet center, it is God. And I love that phrase he writes there. It's to name the hunger. Name the hunger. Maybe you've had that opportunity of having conversations with um, people who aren't saved and you've found that they're more receptive now than ever to talk about, you know, things that are beyond just the weather or, you know, the baseball games that are, aren't happening. I know I've had a number of opportunities to have conversations where they have just gone to deeper, deeper things just because of the gravity of what's happening around us. Even just a week or so ago, had a conversation with a friend who is not a believer. And uh, we were just talking about the severity of the pandemic and the difficulty. And he was just explaining about in his workplace how... Um, 
half of the staff of this kind of medium-sized company, half of the staff had called into their helpline just needing someone to talk to, needing someone to get some advice or some help regarding the, the stresses and the anxiety of life. And both of us, interestingly, both of us landed at the same place of understanding that people cannot just uh, be in this place of purposelessness. And what the pandemic has done is it's, it's actually laid bare any cracks or any soft foundation that people maybe were standing on and now has been eroded. And the person that I was talking to basically ended their conversation with this kind of a quote. It said, it's like you just work your whole life and then you die. And then he asked, can that be it? Like, is that really it? Is that the purpose? Is that the sum total of what we are called to be as people? That we're just going to work nine to five or however many hours. We're going to make a lot of money, hopefully, and we're going to be able to buy all kinds of toys. But we have no purpose moving forward. And both of us, interestingly, came to the same agreement that that is not sustainable. And this pandemic has laid that bare. Now, my friends answer to the problem was, man, let's just go to a four-day week and get an extra day of vacation and people can have more fun. But we know as believers that the calling, the, the ambition is deeper than that. It's actually the gospel itself. It's realizing that our purpose comes from a creator who has made us, who loves us and wants to know us and be in relationship with us. And so our role as believers is to name the hunger. And I wish I could say here, you know, give testimony that I gave like the greatest answer out there. And, you know, everybody, big revival happened or there was like some sort of massive baptism. But none of that kind of happened at all. It was just another opportunity to kind of have a little bit more of a meaningful conversation. And, and God knows that all of us are, are weak. We miss our opportunities. There's times where we have courage. And then there's another time where courage is just gone and we kind of recoil a little bit. And God never says to us, man, that's it. You're off the team. We just need to bring in someone who's like better than you. No, God continues to lay before us these opportunities over and over and over again. And he gives us new mercy, new grace. We grow from these experiences and we go forward. And he says, here's your opportunity, church. Here it is before you. People are looking for answers and we are there to name the hunger. And the hunger is actually found in Jesus Christ. So Paul says broadly his ambition is to preach the gospel, but he gets more specific. And let's close with this. Paul gets more specific. So in verse 20 again, he says, it's my ambition to preach the gospel. And then here's the specificity where Christ has not been known. So Paul says, this is, this is what I've been called to. I am committed to taking the gospel, to preaching the gospel out, but I'm going to places where nobody else is. I'm going to places where the name of Christ has never been proclaimed. And later in the, in the book, we find out that destination for him was Spain. His desire was to go all the way to Spain. So historically, we're not even sure if he made it there. We know that he made it to Rome. Some historians think that maybe he was able to make it to Spain and then eventually died in Rome. But with no knowledge whether he made it there or not. But Paul was like so focused. And this is the point with ambition. Paul says, this is my ambition. 
I'm going to places where Christ has never been named and anything else that's getting in my way that wants to slow me down, I'm pushing it to the side. So it's like Timothy in Ephesus, it's great to stay there. I'm moving on. Titus in Crete, be great to visit and stay there. I'm moving on. I'm going forward. And this is a specific calling. So the question for you and for me is, what is your ambition? Maybe you've never thought about that question. Or maybe you have like clear in your mind, you know exactly what your ambition is um, through life experience or just because it's something that really gets you fired up. You know, Liz and I have discovered over the years that church planting seems to be one of the ambitions of our lives because we always find ourselves involved in church planting. We were doing that overseas and then training church planters and then now being involved in the local church here at Woodside and then ultimately finding ourselves being involved in planting Citizens Church. And so as we look back over the last couple of decades, we're like, okay, Lord, church planting is obviously a part of our life's ambition. What is the specific calling that God has for you? And if you don't have one, how could you actually discover what that might be? I just wrote down four questions that are um, good questions for you to ask. Because if maybe you're on the other side, you're, you're watching this and you're asking, man, I don't know, maybe this is my ambition. You know, maybe you're a young person and, you know, refugee work gets you excited. Or maybe like some sort of medical work or like starting businesses or, you know, being a pastor, some sort of idea really gets you fired up. And so how do you know whether or not that is actually God's calling for you to be involved in this ambition, knowing that all of us as believers are called to be involved in gospel ambition, but now this specific one is a different question. So here's four questions that you can ask yourself. The first one is, is there a true desire? All right, so is this something that regularly comes up, that always gets you excited? It's not like one week it's this, another week it's that, but it's a regular pattern in your life, maybe for the last number of weeks or for the last number of months or even years. So is there a true desire? Second, is it in line with God's word? So is it something that, yeah, I can go back to God's word and say, this is actually something that, you know, God is actually wanting me to be involved in because I can see bits and pieces of it. It might not look exactly like this, right? It might be involved with like computers or something. There's no computers in the Bible, okay? But it's actually based in something that God is passionate about as well. The third question, does your gifting match the ambition and then the fourth question, is it affirmed locally by those who know and love you? So your friends, your family, people in the local church here at Woodside, they're like, yes, we're behind you. We can see that this is something that God is leading you into. Those four questions can help clarify for you the specificity of a gospel ambition. So who do you celebrate? Whose power matters? And what is your gospel ambition? These are days where it's easy to be discouraged. And we can easily be drawn down into uh, dark moments in our lives, whether we're watching too much news or just thinking about the gravity of what's happening in the world around us. And it's a time actually where we need to look up in hope to God. And I recently finished the Lord of the Rings 
um, books. It was quite a journey. It took me like two years and I started and I stopped. And if you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings, you'll know that, you know, there's all kinds of different storylines that are happening. But the main storyline is Sam and Frodo on this journey to Mount Doom to get rid of this ring, right? This ring that they're trying to destroy to get rid of the evil and destroy the, the evil forces that are at work. And at one point in book three, Sam is thinking to himself and is deeply discouraged. Frodo is sleeping. And Sam's thinking, is this like my lot? Just, you know, discouraged, down, and then ultimately, maybe I'll have to just give my life for Frodo, and that's my story. Serious point of discouragement. But right in that moment, Sam actually starts thinking about the Shire. And he starts thinking about his family and the people that he knows and the good gifts that are actually waiting for him. He also starts to think about the, the promises that Gandalf had given to him, you know, the, the great wizard. And, and he, within himself, he gets this courage and this renewal of hope. And then the story goes like this. Let me read you a paragraph. It says, but even as hope died in Sam or seemed to die, it was turned to a strength Sam's plain hobbit face grew stern and almost grim as the will hardened in him, and he felt through all his limbs a thrill as he was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair nor weariness nor endless barren miles could subdue. With a new sense of responsibility, he brought his eyes back to the ground near at hand and studying the next move. Listen, I'm not a prophet. But all I can see on the horizon is that we are not out of these days of COVID-19 and just the turmoil of the world around us. And so today, again, is a reminder from Paul and Romans and even from Lord of the Rings that our hope is in something so much greater. Our hope has to be anchored to this gospel ambition, which is actually anchored to Christ himself. The only hope that we have to take the next step and the next step for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being faithful to us in the midst of this pandemic and in the midst of hardship and in our own struggle, Lord. And when we want to turn from you and want to turn away and into despair, I pray that we would help each other to see the hope that we have in Christ. And Lord, that that hope will actually give us resolve to move forward to see what you have in store for us as a church and to ultimately see you continue to be at work even in the hard days of the pandemic. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.